Good morning, everyone. Whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us on live stream, welcome um, to this Lord's Day as we bring honor and glory to our gracious God. Very special welcome to our first-time visitors, if there's anyone here. We have a gift for you at the Welcome Center for a so if you have not received that gift, please stop by the Welcome Center. As is our custom, those of you on the inside aisle, if you would take those red fellowship books, sign them, send them down, and uh, when they come back, look to see who you're sitting there, and at the end of the service, just welcome them by name. Well, Pastor Jeff is making a, slowly, a, a steady and, and very slow recovery. Uh, as he wrote in the most recent newsletter, which I think came out yesterday or Friday, he mentioned how, how thankful that he and Evie are for all of his support, the kindnesses, the prayers they have received, and knowing how you all respond to need, I suspect they've got more food than they know what to do with. So we welcome Dr. Joe King back uh, to us this morning in our pulpit. Joe is no stranger to this pulpit. He knows it very well, given the fact that he served this church for 12 years. So we thank Joe and Nancy for being with us. Where's Nancy? Nancy, raise your hand. Hey, Nancy. Some of you don't know Nancy and Joe. By all means, uh, greet them at the end of the service. I'd like to make sure you read all of the, ask you to read the announcements uh, in the bulletin, particularly those coming up this week. I would mention specifically, ladies, remember the TEA event on Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. Dick Forrester has asked for a few minutes to bring us up to date on the Sheds of Hope fundraiser. Good morning. You know, God has blessed and provided for the Sheds of Hope ministry ever since we began building sheds. And uh, I'm, I'm here to, I'm humbled and I'm happy to be here this morning to report that he's doing it again. Thanks to his providence and your support and generosity, we uh, raised nearly $18,000 toward our $25,000 goal in July. So we've got one more month to go, and uh, we're, we're, that gives us great confidence. Those funds included, you'll recall, $5,000 that the uh, session voted to contribute as seed money to this fundraiser, for which we're very grateful. And it, I'm also happy to report that more than 20 contributors made, uh, made up the, uh, the, the remaining funds. We're very close to being able to build the uh, three, three uh, shed builds that we've scheduled for this fall, um, but we, you know, we need to continue toward our goal. Uh, as we've mentioned, um, there's two or three ways you can, you can donate. In the collection envelope down here on the bottom line, it says uh, Disaster Response Fund. Uh, you can use the, the collection envelope. Uh, of course, the, there's some details in the church bulletin about uh, how to make out your check. And then there was a question about uh, making a continuing contribution as, a, as opposed to a first-time contribution. Folks, all the contributions are welcome. We, we, uh, we, we welcome and we bless you for it. We're confident with God's grace and your continued support that we'll be able to meet our $25,000 goal. And thank you again. So again, welcome. Let's now prepare our hearts for worship.
call to worship this morning is from Psalm 105. Listen to the word of God. Prepare your hearts to come before him to worship him this morning. The psalmist says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments that he has uttered. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Let us pray. Father, we come this morning to worship you, to give you glory and honor, for you are the one we come to worship. It's not about us. It's truly about the one who loves us, who gave his son for us, the one who tells us in the word, worship me in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we ask now that if there be anything that would hinder us from this time of the Holy Spirit's presence among us, that we confess it. And we give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together and let's sing this great hymn, This Is My Father's World. seated. As you're being seated, I want to invite your attention to the confession of faith. And this morning we're going to be reciting together what's known as the Apostles' Creed. Now this is a creed that was not written by the Apostles, but it is a summary of their teaching. I want you to notice specifically it is a summary of biblical theology. A lot of people say, well, you know, we don't really need theology. Oh, we need it more than ever today to know what you believe, to be grounded in your faith. And one of the ways that you can give testimony to the Lord is simply by remembering and quoting this creed. It is a ground for our uh, theology. 
So I ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I want to ask you to stand together and let's sing this song of praise. Shine, Jesus, shine. invite you to join with me as we pray together using the words that the Lord Jesus taught us to pray when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. And often we just quote this and don't really reflect about the meaning of it quite often. I know I do sometimes. But I want you to pay special attention to what we're saying here in this prayer 
especially some of the things we're going to talk about in just a few minutes in our sermon about forgiving us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to come to you, to bring our petitions to you, because you tell us to. You tell us to come and to ask and to seek and to knock. And you taught your disciples how to pray. In your earthly ministry, there are many times that you escaped the multitude and went to the mountainside to be with your Father. And so, Lord, as we come this morning into your presence, we thank you that you are not a God who is distanced from us. You're not a God who simply created all things and then left them for us to sustain them. You're a God that is providentially involved in everything in our lives. And we thank you that you are sovereign. And we thank you that we can come to the one who created it all, sustains it all, knows it all. And we can come asking for your wisdom, for your direction, for your blessing. Our Father, this morning, we want to bring before you Jeff and Ebby Birch and ask you, Lord, to restore them with strength. They have fought this COVID battle for so long and now pneumonia. Lord, thank you for the things that you're teaching them. But I pray, Father, that you would remove this terrible disease from them this virus that has affected so many people. And Lord, would you restore their health? We pray today as well for others in this fellowship that need our prayers. We pray for George Roundtree as he continues treatment for radiation and for Barb, his wife. Lord, give grace, give healing to him. We, we pray, Father, as well for Cliff Dippenhorst and his low blood pressure and the symptoms of COVID. We pray for Carol Oxford. Thank you, Lord, for her faithfulness in this church as a charter member of this church. And we continue to pray for her recovery. Lord, strengthen her. We pray, Father, too, for... Um, Christine Ellison, thank you for the work that you're doing in giving her complete healing. We pray, Father, for Linda Martin. She continues to recover from her broken leg. We pray for the Pomeroli family. And thank you for all that they have done in this church through the many, many years of being a charter member of leadership positions. And we pray for Barbara now as you would give her strength as she recovers. And we pray for Dick and his uh, brother who has uh, an illness very serious. We pray, Father, for the Chandler family. And we pray, Lord, just your hand of encouragement and blessing for Gloria and Francis as they have mourned the the loss of their son-in-law. And for those grandchildren, and for the new widow, Lord, would you give them comfort and peace. We pray, Father, for others in this fellowship. Some are not here this morning due to illnesses, some due to sickness, some due to lack of strength. Lord, would you encourage them? Father, we pray for those that are taking care of those that are sick and ill. 
we often don't ask you for strength for them, but they're going through a difficult time. Lord, uh, thank you that nothing surprises you. And Lord, we thank you that you began a good work in us. You will continue that work to the day of Christ Jesus. We pray, Father, for our country. We pray, Lord, for our president, cabinet, for those in authority over us. We pray, Father, that you would direct us back to your word and that you would bring refreshment and revival to our country as we see going in a way that is contrary to your word. Lord, we pray for the Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. Thank you so much for this church, for its outreach to this community, for the word of God being preached from this pulpit each and every Sunday, for the elders who confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, believing in the inerrant, infallible word of God. We pray, Father, for the officers of this church, for their wives. God, that you would give grace, you would give leading, you would give direction. That, Father, you would pour your spirit upon this congregation with a fresh anointing that would affect not only Lake Oconee, but around the world through missions. That, Father, you would be gracious to do that. We thank you for hearing us. We thank you, Father, that you are the God of God, light of light. And we come to worship. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. And we ask this in Jesus' name, in whom we pray. Amen.
I feel like after that offertory, we ought to just have the benediction and go home. And <laughs> I know you appreciate her ministry here, Amy Reber, so much. What a wonderful talent. I want to invite your attention this morning, and I want to ask you to turn in your Bible or read along in the printed text in your bulletin of Psalm 32. Psalm 32, and I will be giving you some definitions, and you might want to take that outline and record some of these definitions, and as we go through this text of Scripture this morning, let me read, if I may, a Psalm of David. I'm going to remind you that this is God's Word we're reading. We don't believe it becomes the Word of God or it contains the Word of God. It's God's Word. And when God speaks, we need to listen carefully because He's going to speak to us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Salah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Salah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in a rush of great waters they shall not reach him, for you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Salah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle. Or I will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask once again, your spirit would open our eyes and our minds to understand your word. Lord, uh, would you speak to us? Would you speak clearly to us? Would you speak so that we may change and repent, that we might be like our Savior? More and more and more. Feed your people from your table of the word of God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If I may take a moment of personal privilege. Uh, this past week, my wife, Nancy, who's here, and I celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. Please hold your applause. Now, I know to some of you, that's uh, not many years. But uh, as we began to celebrate, and I was reflecting on the highs and lows of being married 38 years, and there's no question I got the better end of the deal. I know that. But I reflect upon those years. I am thankful for God's grace and God's mercy, for God's forgiveness and I think about all the things that we've been through in 38 years, the highs, the lows, 
the times of rejoicing, the times when we couldn't rejoice, the times when we had plenty and the times that we didn't have plenty, the times that we were able to travel and see some things that we thought we'd never get to see, and then there's those times due to sickness or illness that uh, we've been able to stay home and enjoy precious fellowship. But I thought about all the conversations we've had and the things that she said to me throughout the years, and I could boil it down to two main things that have meant the most to me. One of them is the words, I love you. Never get tired of hearing that. I love you. Always just rings in my heart to hear that. I love you. But the second thing that she said to me is this. It's not, please take out the trash. It's not, please be quiet. It's not, please give me some space. It's these words. I forgive you. I forgive you. And I can't tell you the number of times in 38 years I've heard those words. And I've rejoiced to think... She wants to just get on with life and get on with this marriage and let's just move ahead. We need to hear that, don't we? Psalm 32 is a psalm that was written by David. And it's a psalm of forgiveness. Martin Luther once asked this question by some of his students. What are your favorite psalms, Luther? He responded and he said, 32, 51, and 103. I asked, why are those psalms? He says, because there's psalms about forgiveness of God. Augustine, the great theologian, used to print the words of this psalm and put it on the bedpost of his bed so that every morning when he got up, he would reflect upon what is said in this psalm. And this morning as we look at it, let me give you a glimpse of what I think is the background. We're not sure of the context of this passage, but most scholars believe that it was written several years after David wrote Psalm 51, which is a psalm that he wrote in confession to the Lord with his sin with Bathsheba. You recall the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that David committed adultery with Bathsheba who was married to Uriah the Hittite. They conceived a child and David married her and the child lived for seven days and then died. And God sent a prophet by the name of Nathan to confront David concerning his sin. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned. Nathan said, God has forgiven you your sin. And at some point, David wrote Psalm 51. And then later, he wrote Psalm 32. And we believe that it was about the same event that David was referring to. So let's look first of all at what I'm going to call the confession. And I'm going to give you three words this morning for the word defining sin. And I'm going to give you three words for the word defining forgiveness. Notice the text this morning. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. That's the first word, transgression. It means to go away in a different direction, a wrong direction, a departure, a rebellion. If you're walking down a country road and you see a sign on the side of the road and it says, no trespassing. What they're saying is, we have a limit here and you're not to cross that limit. That's what this word means in the original Hebrew language. 
God has ordained certain limits for human uh, behavior for our good and for the good of our society. And he says, transgression occurs when you go beyond what you're supposed to go beyond. David continues, and he says, transgression is forgiven, second word, whose sin, that's the word, is covered. Sin. Now, we use the term in the New Testament for missing the mark of a target that you're shooting at. It is falling short. It is not doing as God has told us to do. It is, it is an idea that refers to failure, which God has commanded us to do something, and we don't do that. But there's a third word that's used here, and it's used in verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. The word is iniquity. It's used in verse 2. It's the meanings to be corrupt, to be bent, to be twisted. It, it has a nuance of perverting that which is right, of erring from the way. Anytime you've done something crooked or committed in iniquity, James Boyce in his commentary summarizes these three words by saying this. The first word for sin, transgression, describes sin in view of our relationship to God. It pictures us being in rebellion against him. The second word for sin is in relation to the divine law because we all fall short of that law. And then the third word describing sin, which is iniquity, is in relation to ourselves. It is the corruption or the twisting of right standards as well as our own beings. Now, David went on and didn't leave us with those three words for sin. He also gave us three words for forgiveness. And notice the first word that's, uh, that's mentioned here in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Literally, the word means to be lifted off. The burden is no longer on us. And then secondly, he says the second word is the word for forgiven is in verse 1, whose sin is covered. Now, you think about the Old Testament, especially in Leviticus chapter 20, 23 of the Day of Atonement, when the priest would take a sacrificial lamb, he would go into the uh, tabernacle or the temple, and he would go into the Holy of Holies, and there would be the Ark of the Covenant. That was a, a box covered in gold-plated, and on top of it, it had what was called the mercy seat. And he would take the blood of the animal, and he would sprinkle it upon the cover of the mercy seat, signifying that this animal has shed his blood so that there might be remission of sin. You fast forward into the New Testament and you see that fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The sin is covered. Uh, there are um, other, uh, third word that's used here for forgiveness is in a negative term, which means that God does not impute or count our sins against us. Notice chapter uh, 32, 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. The idea of that is that God takes the ledger of our sins and erases them. So we're not held accountable for them. Now how does that happen? Only because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And we get his not only justification, but he also forgives us of our sins. And gives us his righteousness in his place. Now, as David is talking about that, he says we're blessed when we understand that. But he says, notice that there are consequences. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Some scholars believe that the uh, event that happened with David and Bathsheba occurred, and then it may have been several years later before David came to the point of confessing his sin before God. And notice what he says. For, for my groaning all day long. 
Verse 3. He's miserable. He, he understands that he is out of fellowship with God. And so he's groaning. And the word that's used here for the word groaning is the idea of an animal that's in a cage and wants to get out. It's miserable. You know what it is to be a Christian and not walking in fellowship with God for a period of time? You're miserable. You're more miserable than the person who's not a Christian who doesn't understand the grace of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to tell the story the difference between a sheep and a pig. You know the difference between a sheep and a pig? He said, if you go outside and you dig a big hole in your backyard and you fill it full of water and uh, you make a mud hole, the pig is going to fill it home. He's just going to slide in there. He's going to enjoy it, and that is his place. You try to get him out of there, he's going to squeal and kick because that's his home. It's kind of a picture of us before we come to Christ. But the sheep is a totally different story. You don't want to get any mud upon him. He's miserable in the mud. And so when we come to Christ, we get a new nature. Now, how do you get that? You get that by simply receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he changes you from the inside. You see, there are consequences to the sin. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, it was a perfect environment. There was no arguments. Everything was just Roses were blooming. There were no thorns on the, on the, on the roses. Um, they were in complete harmony, and then they sinned. And then you read chapter 3, and then God says to Adam, your work has now become labor hard. And Eve, when you want to have a child now, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very painful the psalmist is saying here that there are consequences to what happens to us. And there are times when the Lord has to discipline us. Hebrews chapter 12 is very clear about that. And it says there that endure hardship as discipline as God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by the Father? In other words, don't be surprised the Lord disciplines you. But if you were not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you were not legitimate, not true sons and daughters of all. Moreover, we've had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and lived? They disciplined us for a little while, but seemed best. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. I remember as a kid loving sports so much. And uh, I'd gotten into some trouble um, and was grounded and was sitting in my bedroom and was looking out the window across the street to my friends who were playing a football game. And my dad told me, he says, don't leave your room. You are grounded. You have to stay there. I just couldn't resist. I said, I've got to go. I've got to help those guys play the game over there. So I went out the back stairs and I crept across the street, which I wasn't supposed to do. I got into the football game and then here came my dad. And I'll never forget him graciously, kindly, but firmly putting the board of education to the seat of learning. (laughs) Why'd he do it? He loved me. He loved me. He was disciplining me. David talks about correction here. Here's the good part. Listen to what he says in verses 6 and verses 7. He says, Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. For surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. 
For you are a hiding place for me, and you preserve me from trouble, and you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Salah. He's saying, come to me, ask forgiveness, I will teach you the way that you should go. I'm not giving up on you. Aren't you glad of that? That God doesn't, doesn't just toss us aside and say, that's it. But notice that he says with conditions that everyone who is godly come and offer a time when you may be found. What does that mean? It means that there's a time when it's all going to be over. There's time when it's going to be judgment. And then it's too late for repentance. There's no sin in heaven. And he says here, you are my hiding place. Verse 7. Earlier he's running from God. Now in verse 7, he's running to God because God is his hiding place. God is the place where he feels the most secure. And so David is saying here that there is correction that God is, is the God who is able to bring us from where we are, correct us out of love, and take us on the path of rejoicing and forgiveness. But he gives a qualifying statement in verse 8. I love this. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Isn't that good news? You know what? God is not finished with you yet. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's still working all things after the counsel of His will. And Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 says that he who began a good work will continue it, present tense, until he comes again. But he says, verse 9, listen, don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or they won't stay near I've ridden some horses in my time, and I know they can be quite stubborn. I've never ridden a mule, but I understand that mules can be even more stubborn than horses at times. And it's interesting that David uses the animal kingdom as an illustration of stubbornness, of not wanting to be teachable, of not doing what we're supposed to do. I, I love the illustration that John Piper uses, the story of a farmer who had a beautiful farm and a beautiful barn and all these barn animals. One day he bought a, a mule, and he said the mule was so stubborn it wouldn't even get out of the rain, it wouldn't come to the barn, it wouldn't do as he had asked it to do many a time and tried to change. Finally, he said, the farmer got so frustrated, he cranked up his tractor. He drove out into the middle of the field in the middle of the thunderstorm, put a bit in the bridle, uh, in, the, in, in the mouth of the, of the mule, tied him to the back of the tractor, and hauled him back to the barn. Ever been there? Be honest. I have. I have. God was gracious and gentle, but firm, and said, you know, let me teach you. Let me teach you. Get over it. David was there. Do you realize that David wrote this so that it would be public? He wrote Psalm 51 about his relationship with Bathsheba so that all Israel and everybody that would believe in the Bible would read it and say, oh, I wouldn't want that to be known about me, would you? But it's teaching because David was a changed man. Let me give you four quick points and we'll close. Call these take-home points. Four things. First of all, verse 6 says to pray and confess to the Lord while he may be found. You may be here this morning and you may not have ever given your life to Christ. Apostle Paul says today is the day of salvation. You're never guaranteed tomorrow. You don't know. 
You just don't know. And David said, don't delay. Don't delay. Do it now. Secondly, remember that God is for you if you are a Christian. Verse 6, he's your hiding place. When all the world is falling apart around you, he gives you a sanctuary you can go and pray and read his word and be encouraged and fed. Thirdly, realize that God forgives your sins only because of what Christ has done on the cross. It's not your works, it's not your effort. That Christ has become the propitiation for your sins. Now that's a big word, propitiation, but it literally means satisfaction. Listen to Romans 3.25. Whom God has set forth as a propitiation, satisfaction, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Jesus took it all on the cross. You have to receive it. Fourthly, humble and teachable. Not like a stubborn animal. Not like the mule. Not like the horse. Not like the person who is not willing to come to Christ for forgiveness. You know you should. Know what it's like when you have sinned before God and you know and the Spirit of God is you're grieving it and you know and it's something inside says, I just don't want to pray right now. That's what David is talking about. That's what he's talking about. But I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is grace beyond grace. And I don't know your situation. I don't know where you came from. I don't know what you've been through. But I want to tell you there's more grace than you can ever imagine. Someone said it's like an eagle that's flying in the air. It never has to lift its head and say, is there more air? Or like a tadpole that's in the ocean that says, is there more water? Greater than all our sin is His grace. I want to show you just a closing illustration of how God used David in the history of the Bible. If you turn with me very quickly to Matthew chapter 1. The first part of Matthew's gospel is a genealogy. And you think, oh, genealogy, that's boring stuff. Why in the world? If you go to Luke chapter 3, you'll see another genealogy. Luke's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam because he's talking basically to Gentiles. Matthew's genealogy goes back to Abraham, the father of the Jews, because he's writing to a Jew, Jewish audience. And notice what he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now, wait a minute. There are 14 generations between David and Jesus. And Matthew says he's the son of David. The son of Abraham. Now, notice verse 6. I'm not going to pronounce all these words because I can't. And he says, verse 6 in the genealogy, And Jesse, the father of David, the king... And David was the father of Solomon, notice the next phrase, by the wife of who? Uriah. Some versions, like the New American Standard Version, say her name, Bathsheba. Remember the story that I told you of the context, I think, of Psalm 32? An adulterous affair. The child that David and Bathsheba conceived died. And then God blessed them with another child by the name of Solomon. 
follow the genealogy with me all the way to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of who? Mary, of whom Jesus was born, the Christ. Did you see it? Your Savior, Jesus Christ, is born in the lineage of an adulterous affair. God had grace. God had forgiveness. And so in the providence of God, he could have done it much differently. But Matthew wanted you to see right in the very first chapter that God uses people who make mistakes, broken vessels, and uses them for his glory and his praise. And he's able to forgive and get the ship back in the lane or the train back on the track by his mercy and his grace. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, talking about Jesus' crucifixion, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And I say to you this morning, if you're a Christian and you are not walking with the Lord, today is the day to change that. God can change that. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you're still in your sins. Today is the day of salvation. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you have portrayed through David to us of your grace. And David understood this very, very well. And Lord, thank you that your grace is greater than all our sin. And I pray, Father, for any that may be here this morning who've never truly trusted you as their Savior, that today would be the day. Today would be the day they call upon you for salvation. But I also pray, Father, for that one that's here or listening online who has confessed you as Lord and Savior and they're still not walking in total obedience. Lord, would you encourage them? Would you grant repentance? Would you grant your love to them? Would you show them the need, Father, of walking in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the joy that only you can give? We thank you for that, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand together, and let's sing this great hymn of the faith. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Would you stand together and let's sing it.
receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.